All right, all right. So once again, thanks for being here, especially on this uh, beautiful Sunday, Sunday, uh, sunny morning that we have in Florida, right? One of the, yeah, one of the few, few weekends we have that the sun is not out and shining, but thanks for being here. Also, as you guys probably know, uh, this time leading up to Christmas is also called the Advent season. The word Advent is actually a Latin word, it means Adventus, which just means coming or arrival. Something great is around the corner. And so obviously this time of year is about celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Now also, depending on what church you went to growing up, you may have also had Advent candles. Anybody have those growing up and see those? We have several different candles. Um, you light each one at each service until you actually have all of them lit. And they each represent something that Jesus brings, hope, peace, love, and joy. And this morning, I want to talk about the word hope. Uh, the reason I want to focus on hope is because in reality, it's probably one of the greatest things that he gives us. And in my experience, hope is just such a great gift. It's one of the things that really gets us through all kinds of things. Um, and, and having worked in healthcare before, especially in the ER and the ICU, I've seen people go through the worst of things. Uh, some people, sometimes people have a bit of a warning and get a diagnosis and have weeks or months to adjust. Uh, some people have no warning at all, and life just hits you in the face. The reality of life and death, it's something you can't really ignore. And so the reason I, wanna, I started out kind of getting so heavy this morning is that so I want us to all grasp how important hope is. Um, and to get there for a moment, imagine... Imagine for a moment that everybody in the world, all at one time, uh, had a car and we all have to drive on the exact same road together. Everyone, worldwide. Yeah, I know, I always get a few chuckles if you think about that. Obviously, there's going to be people that are going to be responsible, people will be somewhere in the middle, and other people will be kind of like almost a comp competition or, you know, demolition derby kind of thing, right? But regardless, we all have to ride on the same road. We all have our most prized possessions, our, fam our children, things like that in the car. Um, and you have this risk day in and day out. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Imagine also there was something that you could take with you on this road that everybody's going to be on. And that no matter what happened, you were going to be okay. Even if there was an accident, you would be okay, right? Um, and the question would be, would you take this with you if you could? Well, of course you could. I think we all would. But then here's the other question. If you had something that you knew, no matter what, you would be okay with, how would that change your outlook on life day to day? I mean, right now, does anybody have anxiety periodically when it's going to happen tomorrow or you mortgage all your bills, right? But what if there's something that no matter what happened, you knew you would simply be okay, that you would be blessed? And see, that's really what we're going with this. Life is vastly different. And the reason I want to bring this up is this, that, that hypothetical situation is right now we do have hope in Jesus Christ, right? And the biblical definition of hope, is it's not wishful thinking, but it's to expect with confidence. So you expect something and you have confidence in it. it, 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 it it's tangible. It's real. It's not flimsy. It's not delusional. It's something that actually exists. And here's the, mo the best part about it. It's not conditional, right? It's free, and it can't be taken from you. It's something that Jesus brings. And that's the type of hope that I want us all to hold on to and, and really cherish uh, this holiday season. Um, now, throughout the history of the world, humans uh, throughout history have needed hope many, many times. You could probably even make the argument there was never a time humans didn't need hope to some degree, right? And what's interesting, if we go back to the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve, when they first sinned, this is when the world first needed hope. Real hope. 
up to that point, everything was perfect. He didn't have that. But once sin was introduced into the world, once they had sinned, Adam and Eve would now know separation from God. Now they would know death. Things were different. Hope was now needed. In fact, it's immediately after that sin was introduced into the world that we get this first peek into the future, this prophecy about the future Messiah that would be our hope. And it comes from Genesis chapter 3. So it's Genesis 3, verse 15. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And enmity means being hostile to something or opposing it. So I will put hostilities between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And what this prophecy is actually referring to is Jesus Christ. Satan is going to strike at Jesus. He'll injure him. Jesus will eventually die on the cross, but he will overcome death. Satan has no power over him. So this prophecy is this very big 10,000-foot view of what's going to happen in the future between Jesus and the devil. And what's so cool about this, right off the bat, is we have our first sign of hope, real hope. We have this picture that there will be trouble in life. We're going to have ups and downs, and the devil will certainly make sure we do have those. Amen? But the good news is that Jesus is stronger. Jesus has defeated Satan. Permanently, our problem is fixed. Right? He's the source of our hope. And what's cool is this isn't about something that might happen in the future. Jesus has already died on the cross, hasn't he? He's already paid our debt. So our role now is to hold on to that hope, to realize it, to understand it, and then to take it with us throughout life, no matter what we do. Now, interestingly enough, though, this uh, prophecy was not given to man first, but instead it was given to the one who brought sin into the world, and it was Satan. God was declaring from the very first moment that Jesus will prevail. Satan is not going to be able to stop the hope that Jesus will bring. Now, as we continue into the future, many years into the future, the Israelites would come from Adam and Eve, just like all of us would. And throughout their history, if you've ever studied the Old Testament, there were times the Israelites did very well, and there were times they did not do well at all, right? They had major ups and downs. Um, they would experience hardship. Sometimes they would even get conquered by a foreign nation. But eventually they would turn back to God. He would restore them, and you would see the cycle just continue and continue. And God knew the world needed more. They would need a true Messiah, someone to teach them, someone to lead them. They needed this permanent fix. And so this next Bible verse that we're going to read, this is a prophecy that was given to uh, Jeremiah, and it's going to start to describe the future Messiah and what he is going to do. So it's Jeremiah 33, verse 15 to 16. It says, In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So periodically throughout history, uh, the history of God's people, God was giving them glimpses of this hope that would come. And if you pay close attention to the words we just read, you see the words righteous. You see the word Savior, right? It's an indication of what the Messiah is going to do, what his purpose is going to be. And one of the best parts of this is this Messiah is for the whole world. He was going to bring hope and peace and righteousness. Now, as we can keep continuing through time, uh, the future uh, into the future, people were still waiting. And as we get closer to the time when Jesus was born, there was a man, and his name was Zechariah. He was faithful, and he served in the temple of Jerusalem. Um, and the story goes that one day he's burning incense in the temple. That was his job. And an angel appeared to him and said, Do not be afraid. 
He said, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. And then he said this. It's in Luke chapter 1, 16 to 17. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So we see that word righteous again, and it relates to bringing people back to God. So this prophecy is about how Zechariah's son, a man we call John the Baptist, he's going to come into the world. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's going to preach about sin, repentance, and making things right. And here's what he did. He called people out of the city down to the Jordan River. He told them, repent of your sin, confess your sin, and then be baptized. So this was God telling the world the real problem is sin. That's what the Messiah is going to do. That's what the, the core of all of this. He's laying the foundation for this great hope, Jesus, and what he's going to do, how he's going to cure our problem permanently. And remember, this started with the first sin in the Garden of Eden. And John was teaching that this baptism is a way to wash ourselves clean and make us new. It's for all people. There's no cost. It's not for Jews only. There's no special prayer. Just come and be baptized, right? And this is where we see the first seeds of hope because where humans can say, I want to be different. I want to belong to God. I don't want it to be this way, right? And then John said, listen, there's someone coming after me. I baptize you with water, but the one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? So he's talking about how great the Messiah is going to be. And now I want to go a little bit further I want to share this really, really good story that highlights the true hope we have in Jesus Christ and how it's, it's tangible, right? Um, and the, what's great about this story is it's incredibly detailed. It's wonderfully specific. And you're going to see what I mean. It's not vague. It's not random that this hope. Um, it's from the New Testament book of Mark. You've likely heard it before. Uh, but as I read it, I want you to think about the confident, expectant hope that this person had. It's from Mark chapter 5. 25 to 28. It says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I, ju if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So really what's going on here is there's this woman who had this bleeding problem for many, many years. And the text tells us she saw lots of different doctors, lots of, tried all kinds of stuff, spent all she had, had nothing left, and she still had the problem. Nothing fixed. In fact, it says she actually got worse. So now she's financially ruined and she's worse off. She lost everything, right? But what she did have going for her is she had this hope in Jesus Christ. She'd heard about this Messiah who can do all things. He cast out demons, cures all kinds of things. Nothing was impossible for him. And so then she decides to go all in. She's going to find him. Right? She hears that he's nearby. And once she gets there, she sees this huge crowd. He's just surrounded by people. And there's no way to, just to easily get to him. She can't call out his name. He'll never hear. There's too many people. So she decides. Ever been to a really busy concert or something like that or whatever? So she decides she's got to fight her way through there. And that's what she does. She's finding these little cracks in the crowd and she just keeps going and going until she gets close to him. And she knows if she can just touch just the back of, even just the, the tip of his coat, that she's going to be healed. He's so powerful he can do anything. So she gives one last push. She sees him. She reaches through. She touches his cloak. 
and then she's healed, which is amazing, right? And then this woman probably thought, hey, that's it. That's all. I'm done. I can go back home, but that's not what happens. Let's read next, verses 29 to 31. It says, immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This is where it gets cool. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And these are the disciples talking in 30, verse 31. You see the people crowding around you? His disciple answers, and yet you can ask, who touched me? So she's healed instantly. Fabulous. Awesome. But then something strange happens. Jesus knows somebody touched him out of hope, right? Great hope. Even though there's a crowd around him, everybody's trying to get close to him, they're bumping into him. Imagine like a celebrity, the Beatles going through a big crowd. People are just, yeah, and the bodyguards are just, and Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples, if you, if you really kind of read into it, they're almost a little irritated with him. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. I'm touching you. We're just getting, what do you mean? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You understand. Who touched me with hope? Who touched me? That's what he was talking about. Who reached out and touched me as their Messiah? Who did that? And the next part of the story is really interesting. Verses 32 to 34. So he says this, and then he's quiet. What does 30, verse 32 said? But Jesus kept looking around to see who did it. Hold on, hold on. This crowd, no, everybody stop. Who did that? Then the woman, knowing what had happened, meaning she realized he wasn't going to stop, he wanted to know, she came forward, she fell at his feet, trembling, poor thing, with fear, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, I, I love the disciples for so many reasons, and I loved them in watching this, because this is that moment they were clueless. They didn't know who touched him. He's asking who, and they're like, what? I don't, what, what? Jesus would be like, shh, quiet. Guys, just, who touched me? Who did it? And at first, you'll notice no one admitted to it. Perhaps she was scared. She was probably an outcast. Maybe she was in a foreigner. Who knows? But he persisted. He wasn't. No one's going anywhere. Who touched me? And finally, she came forward. She fell at his feet. Poor thing again. She was trembling. She told him everything. Said she was lost. She's without hope. I lost everything. I have nothing. I came to you to be healed, and I was healed. And then Jesus says something awesome. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, freed from your suffering. He calls her daughter. I love that. A few minutes ago, total stranger. Nobody knew her. She's in this huge crowd, this huge sea of people, and nobody cares. Nobody knows her. She doesn't matter. She was already miserable. She's broke. She lost everything. No one to turn to. Now she's surrounded by all these people and matters to how many people? None. Nobody knows her at that moment. I think it would be awful to have her problems, but all those problems, I mean, to have all that stuff and be alone in your house is one thing. To be all that stuff, to be in a crowd and nobody care, it's almost like it validates. You don't matter at that point. Right? It would be very difficult. Now, the greatest part of this story is Jesus stops a crowd just for her because he wants to know who did it. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, he looked her in the eye and he says, daughter. He calls her a term of endearment. He means, I see you. I see you when no one else does. And you belong to God. She has a place. He stopped everything because she reached out in faith. 
he could tell the difference between her touch and that whole sea of people. And he gave her peace. And her faith healed her. But you got to remember, when he says the word peace, he doesn't mean peace the way we normally mean it, which is absence of war, absence of difficulty. When Jesus means peace, he means true happiness, true joy, a purpose. He, he just means it, he means it down in your soul all the way through, right? That's the kind of peace that changes everything. It's more valuable than money or possessions. And if I can, I want to move on to another story uh, about hope and peace that Jesus brings. And this is actually something that happened quite recent. It happened to someone that I had met. It was about 15 years ago. Uh, before I became a pastor, I felt called to do a Bible study. And so I, my first one, I never did one before. First one I did went to the Indian River County Jail. If you've never done one before, I recommend that's a difficult one to go start doing it. <laughs> Not the most friendly place, but it was fabulous. Uh, and to help me get my feet wet, the chaplain there had me follow along a couple pastors so I could kind of learn. And then the third person he had me go with was actually not a pastor at all. He's a gentleman, he was in a wheelchair and he'd obviously had a, a, high, a high up spinal cord injury because he had very limited use of his hands. He had braces and he, with one brace, he could kind of move his wheelchair, you know, with electric one forward and backward and all kinds of stuff. So I follow him, a uh, nice guy, into the, into the jail. We go in the big room about this size, and it's, you know, everything's locked, and there's about 40 or 50 guys in there, and they shut the door. And then he goes to tell his story about how he used to be healthy, he used to have money, then he got involved in drugs and alcohol. He got so bad he got addicted, life was spinning out of control. And then one night, he never really said if this was, he was trying to commit suicide or just high, but he jumped off the bridge in Vero going over the intercoastal into shallow water and had a spinal cord injury. Um, and then he goes on to describe how when he was in the hospital for a long time recuperating, his friends would come in, and when no one was looking, they would inject through his, through his IV line, they would inject heroin or cocaine so they could all still get high together while he's there in the hospital. And then when he finally gets better and he's home, his friends, the people he hung out with, kind of realized how much of a problem and a difficulty his disability was going to be, so they kind of all just left him. Because you, you, know, you can't get around very easily anymore. And so that's when he hit, hits rock bottom, loses everything. But this is also where he finds Jesus. This is where the first time he finds hope and peace. And it changed his life. And he realized regardless of his disability, he now has a purpose in life. He was genuinely happy. And what's interesting about the story, it, it, it's a beautiful story, but it's not just a story. When he's talking, all the inmates, you know, they're not all very, like, friendly and open, and they're just... And as he's talking, most of them are along the back wall, and they're like this. They're just waiting for the time to pass. They don't, you know, they're irritated. But as he continues, you can see their body language kind of change. And then they started to come a little closer. They wanted to hear. They wanted to learn more. And at the very end, he tells this group that he is not sorry for what happened to him. He would rather be where he is now and have... Jesus Christ then go back and have his arms and legs because he's truly found peace and happiness. And there is hope, right? And you could just feel it in this room. Everyone was all in early, right off the bat, was you know, kind of angry and irritated. And now you have this group of men and they're all just close together. And you could feel it. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Um, I was so glad to hear about his story. Um, and if you don't mind, I want to share one more. And this, but this happened directly to me. Um, again, it's just, it's about how beautiful hope is. Uh, many years ago, uh, my first, I've been to Haiti a number of times. My first trip there was a medical mission trip. And we went, all, we went up into some remote areas. And one area was called Fonverets. And that's kind of where, um, 
get in this a couple of jeeps and we go through the mountains and you know the roads where you look down and there's like nothing and it's very scary and you go through some shallow riverbeds and it's all rock and there's no bridges and if it rains you're not getting back out you know that kind of place and so we finally get up there and in the mountains and we do this medical clinic and at the end of the day this uh, older lady she's kind of bent over and she has look, what looks like a homemade cane and she kind of my station was open, so she comes to me, and through the interpreter, I start talking to her, and she tells me she feels awful, and she's got this terrible headache, and so while we're getting some information, uh, I take her blood pressure, and it comes back, it's like 260 over 150, which is, yeah, really high, like easily double what it should be, and it's, you know, that kind of thing is just not sustainable for very long, um, but we didn't bring blood pressure medicine with us, and actually, when you go through there, a lot of times, the customs officials in Haiti will just take whatever they want. So even if we could get a couple weeks through, that w- that's not, she needs lifelong and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, uh, it's my first trip, so I wasn't really sure what to do. There's no clinics, there's no hospitals in the area, so I pull away for a minute, and I go talk with some of the medical people. I'm like, what do we do? What do we do? And they're like, there's nothing we can do for her, medically speaking. There isn't anything. I mean, they, they, this is not a joke. Let me look around. There's nothing here. It took us four hours to get here. There's nothing here. Even if we did, we're able to sneak a little bit through. She's good for, what, two weeks? And then it's right back to where she is. This is the reality of some parts of the world. So I'm kind of like, obviously bummed out. Um, but at the time, one of our elders, uh, Mark Wolf, was with us. And then our senior pastor in Melbourne, Dave Fulkerts, was, was there. And so I pulled him aside. I said, all right, so this is the situation. What do I do? And they said, well, we also came to share Jesus Christ. Go pray with her. Pray with her. Give her the hope that comes with Jesus Christ. I said, all right, fabulous. But as I'm walking back across there, I'm thinking, this is what I say to myself. I say a quick prayer to God. I said, I need you to help me. I, I want to say the right things. I don't want to mess this up. She, this is you know, a good opportunity to share the hope in Jesus Christ. And please don't let me mumble. Just help me say the right thing. And so I get back to her. And I say through the uh, uh, interpreter, I said, can I pray with you? And she says, yes. And so then I begin to pray. And in this prayer, I start to pray for that God would love her, but mostly that she would feel it. I mean, she would, I mean, it would be like a heavy blanket. She would feel it, and she would know that she is not alone, that he is always there with her, um, and that while we don't have the medicine to fix her, what I can say is God put it on my heart to come all this way to tell her that he loves her, and that I love her, and she is never going to be alone. And because of Jesus Christ, she, can be in, she will be in heaven one day. We will both be in heaven where there's no sickness. There's no, and you can live forever. And then I said, listen. I said, look, at my, look in my eyes. I said, when we both get there, I'm going to come and find you. And I'm going to run and give you the biggest hug if that's okay with you. And I said, and if you're okay with it, give me one hug now. And the second one will be in God's kingdom. And she started crying, and she leapt forward, and she gave me this huge, long hug, and we held for a long time, and we were both really choked up. It was beautiful. It was, ter- it was very sad, but the same reason, the same thing is, that's what hope is. It brings hope when there's nothing else. You know, and hope, that's what's so great about Jesus Christ. He brings people from two different areas who don't even speak the same language, but yet we, we can come close, and we can know each other, and we can just share the hope we have, and we can look forward to when we're both in heaven, and I think that's uh, one, one of the things that's so great about Jesus Christ. Hope in Jesus is knowing no matter what happens to you, you're going to be okay. He loves you. You are loved. You are forgiven. 
You're part of God's family. And what we go through on this life is so small to compare to the eternity that we're going to spend in heaven. So this Christmas season, that's why I love the word hope, is that we celebrate Jesus' birth when he comes into the world, when he's the beginning of that hope. Uh, so this holiday is about sharing and celebrating hope. So what I always tell people during the holidays, especially this holiday, is celebrate with your family and friends. Have good food. Have a great time. Celebrate that the love you have for each other. Be kind. Be generous. But at the same rate, don't for one second doubt that you are loved, that you are forgiven, and know that you have true hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for everything that you've done for us. And today we declare during this Christmas season that we believe, each one of us believes in your son, Jesus Christ. We believe that he died on the cross for our sins. And we believe that you raised him from the dead. And because of this great work, we know that we have hope, real hope. We know that as we go through life's ups and downs that you are with us. And Father, as we celebrate this, Chris, this Christmas season, give us opportunities to share our faith and to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Many times this holiday season can be difficult for people who don't have hope, who don't know your, your son. So what better time to share the hope that we have because it is for all people. Once again, Father, we say thank you for all you've done for us. And we thank you most of all for sending your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen.